Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. The disparities when it comes to missing indigenous people are well documented. For a number of factors, native people are more likely to go missing than other populations. In New Mexico, federal law enforcement officials have devised what they hope is an effective way to improve those statistics. Its concept seems logical, make a list of names that evolves over time, but provides a comprehensive target to work with. It's part of a strategy officials and advocates in the state are using to address the problem. We'll hear more about it coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. U.S. Department of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg met with tribal leaders in Albuquerque, New Mexico last week to discuss roadway safety in tribal communities, infrastructure investments, and how the Biden administration can work with indigenous communities. Leaders shared their concerns and frustrations about lack of funding and increased traffic, which is causing faster wear and tear on roads and highways. Former Governor of Laguna Pueblo Richard Luarqui says the department has provided resources, but stressed it's no longer enough. The consideration for the formula used to determine how much funding tribes receive uh, definitely needs to be revisited because as you're hearing from the rest of the leadership here, uh, it's not enough. Charles Riley, who spoke on behalf of Acoma Pueblo, says there are many challenges when it comes to applying for funding. Many of our tribes here in the United States do not have the resources or expertise to apply for these grants. The concerns for an increase in traffic going through Pueblo communities has contributed to crimes, says All Pueblo Council of Governors Chair Mark Mitchell. He says while the Pueblo's economy has benefited from increased transit, it has also caused more problems. Dangerous activities like drug and human trafficking have found their way into our communities at an alarming rate. Buttigieg says he's aware of how difficult it is to combat issues with infrastructure. As a mayor who maintained roads and did battle with potholes and other maintenance issues for a living uh, before I came into this role, uh, I do not know how you do it. The secretary committed to working with tribes. The Center for Rural Affairs is launching new makerspaces on two Nebraska Indian Community College campuses for making, learning, exploring, and sharing. Eric Galatis has more. The makerspaces will include traditional low-tech tools and also significant investments in cutting-edge technologies. Among other tools available to students and tribal members, Christine Flyinghawk with the Center's Native Communities Program is especially excited to install a Glowforge. It can engrave and cut anything from wood to leather to glass. And then we have the new Cricut 3 Maker, which can make up to a 12-foot vinyl sign. We will have a sublimation printer. Flying Hawk explains that a sublimation printer can print images on just about anything, from cups to koozies to keychains. The center will also install a t-shirt press, a sticker and button maker, a sewing machine, an embroidering machine, and a quilting machine. Workshops will help people get hands-on experience with each new tool. The maker space also aims to facilitate experimentation, where people can test out new ideas for a side hustle or a full-on business. Angelina Magerl with the center says financial support and expert guidance for creating a business plan will also be available to help people realize their goals. It gives you that step-by-step -step process in seeing what's 
realistically, like time-wise, money-wise, what you can do with the business plan. It kind of lays it all out for you, what needs to be done and what the outcome is of having accomplished that in your plan. Flying Hawk says in addition to workshops, the makerspace will also offer open hours where folks can spend time with people from all ages and walks of life to share skills and learn traditions that have been passed down. They can still come and bring their beadwork or whatever kind of project that they're working on if they want to work in a shared space with others and have that fellowship and community. That was Eric Gladys and I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. What if someone said you owe money to the IRS and have to pay with a gift card? Or they ask for a gift card so you can avoid going to jail? Stop. It's a scam. Gift cards are for gifts, not payments. Report scams at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The current list of verified missing indigenous people in New Mexico and the Navajo Nation includes more than 200 names. The list is compiled and managed by the FBI State Office in an attempt to get a full accounting of missing people and address a problem that affects indigenous people disproportionately. It's not meant to be a finished or static summary. Instead, it's frequently updated with information from law enforcement agencies, tribal representatives, native advocates, and the public. It's a tool to quantify the problem, increase awareness, and foster communication among those who have a stake in missing indigenous person cases. We'll talk about the list today and its value as a model for other places with at-risk native populations. As always, we welcome your comments on a pressing issue. How best to combat the crisis of missing indigenous relatives? That's the question we're asking today. If you've got ideas, please share them. 1-800-996-2848. The number again, 1-800-996-2848. Speaking with us in Albuquerque, New Mexico is Frank Fisher. He is the Public Affairs Specialist for the FBI in New Mexico. Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. I'm glad to be here. It's glad to have you. I'm glad to have you as well, Frank. And uh, our, our other guest is speaking with us from Sheep Springs, New Mexico. Uh, Amber Kanesbach-Krati. She is a Navajo Nation Council Delegate and co-founder of the Missing and Murdered Diné Relatives Task Force. She is Diné. Councilwoman, Councilmember Crotty, please uh, thank you for coming back to Native America Calling and feel free to further introduce yourself to our listeners. Oh, yeah, Teisha. This is Kia'ani Nishle, the Belagano Viking people, Basishin, Deschini Deshiche, the the Lagana Irish people, the Shanala, Shea Amber, Kenneth Wakrati, Yanisha Tohatsoi, Ben Nasha. So I'm a representative of the Navajo Nation Council, 
I represent communities in the Northern Agency, and um, we have been um, organizing the missing and murdered Dine relatives uh, since the kidnapping and ultimate murder of Ash and Mike in 2016. Um, our children were in the same school district, and her mother, Pamela, is uh, one of our clan relatives. And so we do this work in their honor and for all the families who are seeking justice and uh, their voices to be heard. So, yeah, Shawat. Well, Amber, I want to begin with you. Uh, this list, it was released, uh, just just began in, in July uh, of this year, so it's it's relatively new. And, and what do you think of it with regard to missing Indigenous people? Is it a game changer in combating the disproportionate number of Native people who go missing? Um, so uh, thank you for the question. I think in terms of as we put survivors and families um, centered and center, um, center them in, in this healing uh, social justice movement, uh, when it comes to this crisis, uh, this monthly list is just uh, not a game changer, but it recognizes uh, the, the extent in terms of what is happening in our communities and um, gathering law enforcement uh, to uh, go through their listings to keep them updated, uh, get them through the NCIC process uh, to identify the families who have reported their loved one missing. Uh, but the, we also find that a community-based approach, there's still relatives that are not on the FBI list or on the Navajo Nation um, government uh, list. So as uh, community-based advocates and elected officials, we're trying to uh, close in those communication gaps and, uh, and trying to review and understand um, how an individual gets onto this listing, uh, what, what names are being withheld from the listing as they try to be verified through law enforcement, and then how is this list being used to uh, support those families who are desperately looking for loved ones or waiting for an update on their cases. Now, Amber, you are a co-founder of the Missing and Murdered Diné Relatives Task Force, and how has that entity contributed to this new FBI list? So in terms of how we've contributed to the list, um, I also sit, in that capacity, I sit on the New Mexico Task Force, and uh, prior to the public, apologize for the background noise, um, prior to the public, uh, publication of this report, I think we had one or two days to review um, the listing and to add any comments. And so it's been um, at times not the best way for our federal partners to communicate with community-based programming. I understand they are working uh, more collaboratively with our state partners and maybe Navajo Nation law enforcement, but it's really, again, centering through the families and making sure that, the, uh, that our community-based advocates have a seat at the table, um, understand the logistics so that we make sure our relatives are on that list. Well, let's go back to Frank now. Again, he's a public affairs specialist with the FBI and the New Mexico State Office. And Frank, some people listening today might say a list of names is such an obvious response to this ongoing crisis. Why wasn't the list of missing indigenous people in New Mexico and the Navajo Nation compiled sooner? John, thank you for having me on. And Delegate Crotty, it's good to have you on. I appreciate your comments. And you make some really good points. I think it's important to note that the FBI does not 
investigate most missing person cases, we need to know that there is a probable cause of violence that was associated, that there was some foul play. This is something new for the FBI. This was a way for us to move the ball as far as the missing indigenous persons issue that we hear so much about in New Mexico. And this was a way through our involvement with the New Mexico Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Relatives Task Force to contribute, to really make a difference. And the way we were able to do that was to bring our data abilities. Nobody, nobody does data better than the FBI. We've been doing it for a long time. We have intelligence analysts. We have agents who are second to none as far as following the clues and accumulating data and formulating databases. This was a way that by forming this list, something that the FBI doesn't normally do, but working with our partners, we were able to bring out transparency on this issue. We Frank, were able to work with our, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna, there are 203 names on the New Mexico list right now. What can you tell us about these people on the list? These 203 people have been verified as missing indigenous persons in New Mexico and in the Navajo Nation, which, as you and your listeners realize, includes Arizona as well as some of Utah. The reason I say they're verified is because our intelligence analysts, our data analysts have gone through NCIC, have worked with our law enforcement partners, have gone through social media, have just turned over every rock possible to be able to confirm without a shadow of a doubt that these people are indeed missing. And that was the quandary we faced before this list came out, is because some families thought that law enforcement was looking for their loved ones, when in fact they weren't. Mm -hmm. If you put a Facebook post up about your missing relative, that doesn't mean law enforcement's looking for them. If they are entered in the National Crime Information Center, or NCIC, which the FBI manages. You can be assured that law enforcement all over the country are looking for your loved one. And that is why it was so important for us to get this list out and then, and then to challenge the public. If your loved one is not on this list, contact your local law enforcement and tell them they need to get your, local, your loved one on this list. Okay. The FBI doesn't put people on this list. It has to be local and tribal law enforcement. Okay. Frank, can we assume uh, all of these people on the list are, are victims of a violent crime? No, absolutely not. And that is why we want to get this information out. Law enforcement now can follow this information. If it turns out that they are victims of violent crime, then we can open up a federal investigation. But until then, and, and until this list came out, we just didn't know. It's important to note, people have a right to go missing. And that, that is not a crime. What is a crime is when somebody has been taken against their will and is missing in that regard. And that is what we want to get, we want to find out. And that's where we're hoping the public will look at this list. We, we put this list out, we update it every month, and we ask the public, please look at it. If you know the whereabouts of somebody, 
or if you know what happened to this person, contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI so we can okay. track down what happened to this person. And the list, where do you get your information uh, for the names that go on the list? And then I noticed that it's it's updated frequently. Some names are added. Some names are removed. And whose role is that to manage the list? The, the FBI runs this list, but we... This, is, this whole effort is done through our partnerships with the Navajo Nation, with NamUs, with Facebook groups, with a whole host of agencies that are contributing to this effort. When we launched this at the end of July, we had a, a huge press conference. And what we tried to highlight were all the partnerships that were involved. The FBI, as I said before, the FBI is not in the missing person business. What we can do, though, we can bring our data abilities to that topic and try to help some of these families. Dozens of families, since we launched this effort in July, have been given closure. Some of that information has been positive. They have been able to reunite with loved ones. Some of it has been tragic. We have found deceased persons. But at least now the families know. And before July, they didn't have the ability to have that information. Folks, we are speaking with Frank Fisher. He's a public affairs specialist with the BIA in New Mexico. And we also have Amber Kenesbach-Krati, Navajo Nation Council delegate. And we're talking about this new list of missing Indigenous relatives. Give us a call if you have a question. We'll be right back. Native musicians had a big night this week with the Native American Music Awards. The best in Native hip-hop, country, rock and roll were all recognized. We'll take the opportunity to shine a light on several talented musicians who are making waves. That's coming up on the next Native America Calling. Did you know more than 51,000 Native and Indigenous people are living with epilepsy in the United States? Epilepsy is a neurological disorder that causes recurring, sudden, unprovoked surges of abnormal electrical activity in the brain. Call 1-800-332-1000 to get information and resources. Help someone you know by learning seizure first aid at epilepsy.com slash first aid. The Epilepsy Foundation supports this show. We're tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about an effort in New Mexico to fight the disproportionate number of indigenous people who go missing. The FBI has a practical solution. Keep a list of all indigenous people who go missing. But its effectiveness relies on constant monitoring, updates, and assessments about which cases to prioritize. Will a list of missing indigenous people alleviate the problem? What more needs to be done to address this crisis of missing Indigenous people? Please add to our discussion today by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We have FBI Public Affairs Specialist Frank Fisher on the line in Albuquerque. And Frank, before break, you mentioned that uh, that people have the right to go missing. And uh, you said that there have been families that have gotten closure, finding out that their, their relatives 
uh, did not make it. Uh, but I would imagine there are also some stories with happy endings. Somebody shows up alive after a week-long excursion somewhere, just didn't tell friends and families. And then also perhaps criminal prosecutions as well. And can we make any educated guesses as to how many of these cases might ultimately result in criminal prosecutions? It's a little premature to go there, Sean. I, what we want to just get the word out to the public is that this is a first step and that we can't, we can't accomplish this without the public's help. We want the public to watch this list. I, I always tell people, if nobody looks at this list, it's not going to do anybody any good. So you just grab a cup of coffee, grab a cup of tea, and look at this list. It'll take you 10 minutes to go down the names, and if you see anybody, you recognize anybody, to call us. Okay. And, and, and if, 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 if there are calls, if, if there are violent cases, we will definitely get involved. Okay. And for listeners, uh, we have a link to the list on our website. So if you go to NativeAmericaCalling.com, you can scroll that list right now and see these 200-plus names that are on the list. And let's go back to Council Delegate Crotty. And, and Council Delegate Crotty, um, Frank mentions this is a first step. It is a first step in addressing this crisis. And um, what else do we need in terms of resources and capabilities to address this ongoing problem, this ongoing tragedy uh, of missing and murdered indigenous relatives, not just on the Navajo Nation, not just in the state of New Mexico, but all over Native America? Uh, yeah, Shalana, thank you uh, for the question. And so I think, um, you know, the community-based or centering survivors of violence or our missing families uh, definitely is a dramatic difference. There's a dramatic um, difference in terms of our federal FBI approach. Uh, just listening to the comments, um, I think in terms of how we want to move forward in a healing way, in a trauma-informed way, is not to put the burden on um, the families or community members um, in just reviewing this list, but we want uh, the FBI to acknowledge that this is a crisis occurring in not only Navajo Nation, but all of Indian Country, in Alaska, um, and that the FBI has a role um, in terms of looking at what is happening in our communities and, under, and, and assisting in understanding those systemic issues. Uh, what we're finding is when we talk with the families, or, and this is, when I say missing and murdered the net relatives, this is an all-volunteer community-based approach that has um, tribal leaders like myself working with advocates, uh, working with public health uh, experts who, are, um, who work at like the NET College or Tribal College, partnering with Indian Health, um, injury prevention, understanding the data so that we have uh, a clearer picture of what's happening. Um, I also want to note that in terms of um, the different types of philosophy should be recognized where mainstream criminal um, justice providers or laws will state that an individual over the age of 18 has a right to be missing. If you look at Navajo Nation case law, court cases, there is a fundamental duty in terms of uh, that relative 
to notify the clan, to notify the family in terms of where their uh, whereabouts and their obligation um, to their extended family members. Now we recognize that there is violence in families and so there's alternative ways that a missing relative can notify safely, whether it's law enforcement, uh, now training um, our medical providers. Uh, and this is the first year where the federal government has actually allocated any type of funding for our families uh, who, are look, who are looking for their missing relative because they never recognize that a person over the age of 18 um, who is out of the home or who has not contacted the family should have access to some of these uh, funds that help uh, survivors of violence or family members who are searching for their loved ones. So we're also dealing with a whole complete set of what is um, the appropriate response. And so I sit on the Federal Commission, Not Invisible Act Commission, and so we've been able, um, and, and I chair the, the law enforcement section, and so we've been able to have collaborative conversations. It's a learning curve, but it's also so important that in any of these conversations that it goes back to the families, or at least the families have some input in terms of what will work best, and how can we collectively help communities not just review a list, because that, that invokes a lot of pain, um, that so far when we do our, our, our networking, we have to make sure we have counselors um, aboard, and we have to make sure that we're creating a safe space for those community members to feel safe to disclose tips or to disclose if someone in their home is missing because there's a lot of blame and shame that has been put on the families historically. And so we want to make sure that we're creating the avenue of healing. Okay. Well, you mentioned increased funding for, for these Native families who find themselves consumed by, by one of these missing relative tragedies firsthand. And uh, resources to assist. So I, I could imagine just searching for uh, a lost relative, advocating on their behalf, communicating with law enforcement. What are some other challenges that these families have to deal with, and, and how are some of these funds able to assist them with those efforts? So, for example, um, the Office of Victims of Crime has a tribal set-aside, and I want to thank them for hearing us during our tribal consultation to allow, through these federal funds, the ability for um, advocates and programs on the ground to assist uh, the, the families. So on Navajo Nation and looking at what we've seen our northern sisters provide is um, first and foremost that trauma-informed care, so creating that safe space. A lot of times they have issues when it comes to transportation, when it comes to advocating um, for their families, uh, either dealing with law enforcement directly or at least um, connecting with law advocates who will be able to provide them um, some of that support. Other areas as you know, the mental health long term, this is the most traumatic event that has happened to this family and far too many times we see this as a point where families do not know how to navigate these large emotions, and so they'll start turning on one another. What we need is to provide them a warm hand resource to help them guide through these big feelings. A lot of it is the blame, a lot of it is the shame, and the unknowing. It can manifest into a family. This impacts our grandparents, it impacts our young families, it, it, you know, our children. There are parents who are missing, and the children are just expected to go back to school 
and act like nothing's happening when every day they come home wondering if their parent has returned or has called them. Okay. We had a, a caller on the line, uh, couldn't stay with us, but uh, that person was calling in uh, from South Dakota listening on KIPI. And their question is regarding any plans to expand these efforts beyond New Mexico and the Navajo Nation, and also the possibility of working with TV stations and other media outlets to put the pictures and information out there. Frank, could you respond to that question? Yes, John, that's an excellent question. That is our next step. We have started a great effort here in New Mexico and the Navajo Nation, but it just can't stay here. So we have been talking to other field offices that have Native American responsibilities, and our plans are to start expanding this. One size does not fit all, however, and I'm sure Delegate Crotty would agree with this, that, that Native American tribes have different expectations, have different relationships with law enforcement. So we need to be very sensitive and very methodical in how we do this. But yes, that is our plan to start expanding this nationwide, particularly in those areas that also have serious problems, uh, missing, missing persons problems. Frank, reviewing the list, uh, some of these missing people date back to, there, there's one as far back as the 1950s, there's one from the 1970s, 1986, I mean, some of these are, are more than 40, 50, even 60 years old, and then some are as recent as just a few weeks ago, and in, in thinking about some of these cold cases that just go back decades, um, I understand the FBI is increasing rewards for information to help solve some of these cold cases. Can you talk about that? The FBI has several cold cases that we have opened investigations on. One of them is probably well-known to many of your listeners, Antoinette Cayadito. She disappeared in 1986. She was only nine years old. That is one we're offering a reward on. The other one is Laverta Sorrell. She was from Navajo, New Mexico and she did, was last seen in Fort Defiance. But more important than the rewards, we want people to care. And we want people to look at this list and to, for, for people to realize that every one of these names, every one of these pictures is a point of pain for these loved ones. And that there are emotions, very raw emotions behind all these stories as Delgate Crotty indicated. And for those of us who have families, who have loved ones, if we were in that situation, we would want law enforcement, we, we, would, want, we would want our government to move heaven and earth to find our loved ones. So that is the pressure the FBI is operating under. We want to do everything we can to help find these loved ones, these missing loved ones, because it's the right thing to do. And the FBI has always prided itself on doing the right thing to do. This has taken a lot of effort. This is continuing to take a lot of effort. Delegate Crotty asked for us to acknowledge that this was a crisis. I think the effort we've shown demonstrates that we are taking this extremely seriously and that the fact that we are going to spread this nationwide. This is something we're in for the long haul because these families deserve closure. These people, missing people, deserve to be found. Okay. Now, you mentioned uh, wanting people to care, and um, 
and you suggested for our listeners to go take a look at this list and review it. And um, and what else can can listeners do to support these efforts in addition to reviewing the list? Because obviously this crisis it's going to require a comprehensive plan that includes law enforcement and community advocates, as well as just individuals and families. Everybody needs to play a role. So what more would you suggest that that people do at a grassroots community level to combat this, this ongoing crisis? People need to think. When you scroll down a computer screen and you see these pictures and these names and when they were last seen, your eyes can sort of glaze over. Mm-hmm. Don't let that happen. Get involved. Look at these people. These people have families. For those families who maybe have felt frustrated with law enforcement, that they felt law enforcement didn't take their missing person cases seriously enough, if the local or tribal law enforcement agency will not take your missing person case, contact the New Mexico Attorney General's office or the FBI. Something has to happen here, and we are determined. We would love to see this list go down to zero. We know that day will probably never happen, but all our efforts are focused on diminishing this list. The fact that it is increasing, it went from 192 to 203 in the last month, shows us that more people are getting involved, more people are getting enrolled, that law enforcement is getting involved, and that it's working. And that's what we want to see. We've got a, a caller on the line now, Mesky, listening in Gallup on KGLP. Hello, Mesky. Thank you for calling in today. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I understand that you are a co-founder of the Navajo Nation Missing Persons uh, Task Force. Yes, I run Navajo Nation Missing Persons and also co-founder for Missing and Murdered and Their Relatives, along with being a member of the New Mexico MMIWR Task Force. So you work with Amber closely, then, it sounds like. Oh, yes, definitely. I sure do. Well, one thing, Mesky, that I, I was surprised to see, how many Native men are on the list? in addition to women that this list we're talking about. And what does that say about this issue? Because so often it is framed as a problem more likely to impact Native women. Yes. At the beginning, uh, before this was very highlighted, the issue was focused on our Indigenous women, which, you know, we know are von- is a vulnerable population. Um, but when I first started this, really looking into this research, and the men always popped up as being more of our missing and murdered um in you know general it was more men than it was women and i started to see that early on um when i was doing my research so when the task force was the new mexico task force was introduced when we we were able to attend the public meetings i was able to bring that to their attention that although you know our indigenous women are missing at high rates our men and our boys are missing at a higher rate. And um, that was something that also needed to be highlighted. Yeah, it's uh, really confounding to see those statistics and, um, and just to really grasp the enormity of 
this crisis and how it impacts uh, Native people with so many backgrounds uh, in so many different communities. And, and again, we're talking today with uh, this issue here specifically with regards to New Mexico and the Navajo Nation. But unfortunately, this is a crisis that impacts Native communities everywhere, all over Native America. So anybody listening today, uh, in anywhere, any of our listeners, please feel free to give us a call. If you have any questions, if you have any insights, any comments to add to this discussion, we would really, really value your thoughts and your comments on the air today. Just give us a call. The number is 1-800-996-2848. The number, once again, 1-800-996-2848. What are your suggestions for how to make this list work better, for how to address this ongoing crisis, to get some closure, to reduce some level of frustration and pain that so many Native families have had to experience. Give us a call. We'll be right back after the break. This Native American Heritage Month, remember one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health care professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. To Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about missing indigenous people today and one effort in New Mexico to address the issue. We'd sure like to hear from you. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. We have another caller on the line, Sean, listening on KIPI in Cheyenne River, South Dakota. Sean, you're on Native America Calling. You bet. Well, Mr. Frank, I, I've worked on a number of cases here on Cheyenne River with Chairman Fraser, and what I've come to find out in, with the uh, missing and murdered women um, is that the states do not have an amber alert or a silver alert, and I believe there's another category. But if they were to participate and issue these alerts, I, I believe that, you know, we would we would recover a lot more people uh, a lot sooner. So I was wondering if you could give some insight on that and and let me know if I'm correct or where where this actually is is at as far as uh, murdered murdered and missing uh, women go. Sean, thank you for that call. And Frank, please respond. Uh, is that on the FBI's radar to? create Amber Alert type messages for some of these names and individuals on the, the missing indigenous persons list? Well, Sean, the Amber Alerts are run by the state and the local entities. What, what the FBI can do and what we are doing is this list is part of a wide ranging effort. And when I said this is a first step, this is a first step that's part of the effort we're doing. And that a big part of that is working with partners such as the Navajo Nation to look at things such as Amber Alerts and how those could be improved or instituted. Develop, what, what, do, what do local entities need? The FBI has a lot of resources we can bring to the table. 
not only material, but planning. We've been doing violent crime and other crimes on Native American land since 1908. So we have a lot of expertise we can bring to the table. Okay. And Amber Alerts is one part of it, but that comment is exactly the sort of stuff we need to hear to see what's on people's minds. All righty. Well, Sean, we sure do appreciate your comment up there in Cheyenne River, South Dakota. And let's go back to Meski. We have her on the line. She's a co-founder of the task force there with Navajo Nation. And, and, and Meski, um, you know, Frank mentions that this is, in many ways, uh, some of these challenges um, gear around state resources and state efforts. So can you talk a little bit about the recommendations from the task force uh, in terms of, of how the state can assist tribal nations uh, as well as the FBI and other, any other agencies or entities that are, that are working on these challenges with so many missing indigenous people? Yes, I believe um, one of the recommendations was to have a missing persons day. And New Mexico did have the very first one, and FBI was there for that day. So if we could recommend that all states have a day just like this, that can contribute a big part of helping with collecting that data, getting everybody accounted for all the way down to tribal affiliations so that we do have a record of people who are missing, so they can be in the databases, including DNA samples, and being in NamUs, which NamUs is a national um, missing and unidentified database that's run by the DOJ. We need our relatives to be in these databases, so that, you know, including advocates like myself, we are able to keep our data updated because we are one of the key resources to the FBI, and they know that. They have asked several of us for help, and, you know, we work with them. We collaborate. That's the whole meaning of collaboration. So working with all the entities that have been at this for so long, for years, grassroots organizations, you know, advocates like myself who are in this from their heart, you know, we can all work together to make something happen. Like right now, I'm working on an app that is funded by um, Odin Intelligence that will be able to help Navajo Nation. We're entering the people that are missing at this current moment. We're going to be releasing this app so that the public will be able to download this app and keep track of what we have. They, You know, there won't be anything hidden this will be all public for everybody to download and when we enter a new missing person you know they will get an alert on their phone letting them know that there's somebody that's missing in their community this app shows pinpoint mapping of all the hot hot spots where there's potential missing people and you know there's graphs there's all the data that is needed and that's necessary and being able to give this to the community is one step forward also. So collaborating with our local federal law enforcement officers and, you know, even with our grassroots organizers, that's where we can come into play and help one another. You know, although we may be civilians, we know a lot of information, a lot of key information. And sometimes the families will open up to us advocates more than they will open up to law enforcement officers. So for that purpose, we get a little bit more detailed information than law enforcement does. So again, collaborating, communicating, 
you know, getting that gap filled by just carrying that conversation with each other, learning from each other, and being able to work together to help our indigenous communities. Let's go back to Delegate Karate now. And Amber, we're talking about some of these other native communities in other states. And are, are you folks collaborating and communicating with uh, native communities and, and other folks that are engaged in this constant struggle to alleviate this, this crisis, ongoing crisis of missing indigenous people? Are you working with other native communities? And if so, what are some of the, the, the key developments and, and promising models that seem to be um, working most effectively or present the most promise? Sure. So thank you, uh, Shoah, for the question. So early on, we um, were really supported by the Sovereign Bodies Institute and in their work in helping us create some um, baseline data uh, there was other tribal nations that also uh, were working with Sovereign Bodies Institute. So we reached out to Yurok um, out in California territories. We've been working um, down south with our Ta'ona Otom um, communities and relatives because we recognize that there's a lot of intermarriage, um, that there's a lot of movement within our communities. And uh, so we've been able to uh, reach out and um, being part of the Not Invisible Act Commission, um, working with our Alaska uh, relatives in terms of what are some of their uh, chronic issues, and uh, seeing that there has to be um, this network of communication and coordination, and that we have uh, Navajo and Native uh, community advocates who are passionate, like Miski, who um, this is their heart work, and if they would just be properly funded or uh, uh, a method that could be designed for best practices, that would help all of Indian country. And really um, the missing persons, <clears throat> excuse me, movement, as we've also started collaborating with um, some of our uh, people of color um, alliances, as they've also seen a huge disparity in their communities uh, when their missing um, occurs. And what could we learn when we have um, relatives who are missing in the urban or border areas. So there is a lot of collaboration. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of heart work. Um, it's not for everyone. And so I want to recognize that individuals and programs may be doing the best that they can, but if they could work more with community-based um, advocates, we would also see uh, a rich, there's a richness there that would help guide the conversation. Amber, let's take a step back and um and just contemplate the whole issue uh, from a larger lens. And these horrible tragedies that continue to devastate our Native communities, they beg the question, and I'm sure you're asked this all the time, but I want to ask you as well, why are um, more Indigenous people missing and murdered than any other populations? I mean, what, what's really at the root here? And are there any other factors that, that haven't been considered yet or people aren't talking about? Uh, so... As communities were talking about this crisis, at first it was considered an epidemic, and we had to um, push back on that narrative uh, because epidemic means uh, it occurs once or it occurs in, in, in isolation. Uh, we recognize through colonization, through intergenerational violence, the dehumanization of our relatives have led us to this point. And, um, and so when we look at what are some of the factors when someone's missing, a lot of blame and shame. 
uh, letting family members know that they have to wait a certain amount of days where there's no policy that indicates that they would have to wait 10 days uh, to report a missing individual, uh, reviewing some of the policies and procedures um, in terms of when a missing person is, um, is reported and what is the response, and having you know, very tough conversations that sometimes this comes down to either manpower or funding. And so why our federal government has not been funding Indian country um, at the level that it needs to meet this increasing violence. So at the very beginning, um, you know, testifying in front of the Senate Indian Affairs Commission back in December of 2018, we laid out what was happening and what support that we needed, and we're just seeing a trickle effect. We, we have not seen a huge investment in these efforts. We haven't seen a huge investment in, um, in Indian country uh, criminal justice system or restorative justice or wraparound treatment. And so when you um, do not provide that type of support, then you'll find community members who then are put or are created a, a vulnerable stage for them. So we've been stripped away from a lot of our authority in terms of protecting our people. And so now we see it's the matriarchs, it's our men folks who are reclaiming that space. And if we don't get the response that we need, uh, then we have rolled up our sleeves and going to provide that for our families. And that comes in the form of the awareness walks, that comes in the form of um, working with our state legislatures, uh, working with tribal electors who, who represent us and need to continue to advocate for additional funding at the federal, state, county, and all of these conversations. Amber, another interesting development with regard to awareness for MMIW issues is this new television show called uh, Alaska Daily. Have you watched it? So I haven't, but I do have to say, like, I'm not a big TV movie person, and, um, like, I haven't even watched Wind River because I don't need to watch something that we live every day. And, um, but I hope from that conversations others are watching and that those and that that production is communicating uh, with the local um, communities that they're representing, and um, and and hopefully it can uh, provide some additional support uh, for for this effort. Amber, for somebody listening right now who um, they're contemplating looking at this list, but you mentioned earlier that they need to be be mindful of. Um, what it means to look at that list, and they can be triggered in many ways. Um, any guidelines, any insights for assisting people that, that want to get involved and want to help, but, but they're worried about the emotional repercussions of, of going down that path? Mm -hmm. Yes, so um, I would say, um, and, and the way that we've created this space and opportunity is um, meeting, and, and I appreciate all the social workers out there, meeting relatives where, where they're at. And so um, it's having a conversation and a dialogue about what, you know, what is happening, what have they heard, what were areas of interest, and then helping them navigate if those are conversations that they feel they want to be a part of, or if they feel that, and, um, and a lot of individuals do not feel comfortable on social media, but want to get social media updates, they do not feel comfortable walking, but will donate and support 
families like uh, missing and murdered Diné relatives. And there's also a lot of our young um, individuals who are in school and want to research what is happening, what is going on, and how can I be a part of it. So we always recommend, um, you know, this process is a crisis, and there's not going to be any immediate um, change that will that that is worth an individual not taking care of themselves. And so it's very um, survivor um, service, you know, centered, and that also means a lot of self-care. That means um, being able to get the type of support that you need to, to navigate these big emotions and knowing that you're part of a collective and no one should um, feel that you will be the savior of this issue. So through this collection, uh, we have strong sisters, strong brothers who help us in those dark times. And I, I appreciate all of them who are listening and allowing us to rest and they take up the helm, and then when they're ready, then we go in and we help them when they need their rest. So it's also taking care of one another. Justice for missing Indigenous relatives. That's been our, our focus on today's show, and just a, a very powerful conversation today with uh, experts and advocates, law enforcement, as well as Navajo Nation Council delegates and uh, MMIW task force members and uh, really, really a crisis, an ongoing crisis, unfortunately, throughout Native America. Statewide, 506 MMIW cases are active in New Mexico, and more than half, 280, are murder cases, sadly enough. Folks, that is all the time we have for today's discussion. I'd like to thank our guests today, Frank Fisher and Amber Crotty, for updates and insights regarding the ongoing challenge and tragedy of missing Indigenous people. We're back again tomorrow with another live show here on Native America Calling. We'll look at the winners and also Rands from this year's Native American Music Awards. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce. Stay safe out there. Yate, enroll in health care coverage through CMS today and keep your health protected all year long. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call one 800 318 2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Local tribal museums are the experts of indigenous histories, cultures, and values with the tools to educate the public. On the first National Tribal Museums Day, on December 3rd, participating museums will offer no-cost admission, special exhibits, and live cultural demonstrations. Learn more at indian-affairs.org slash tribalmuseumsday. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this program. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.